Welcome to the March 2012 edition of the Ordinary Means Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Nolan, here with Matt Bowling. Who is voting present today. He's voting present today. Well, Matt, what should we talk about? Well, how about parenting? Hey, there's an idea. We've been talking about this. How many months have we been talking about parenting? Well, it's <laughs> kind of been since you had a kid. But if you mean on the podcast, then um, I don't know, several at it, least. It has been a few. So what we want to do today is address those issues of children and faith and baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, when? Uh, I, I don't think we're going to... Are we going to cover the issue of when to baptize your kid? I think we've done that before, and sort of the confessions and the previous statements on the church and everything are take care of that, I think, for us. So um, maybe one thing we could entertain is... Uh, it, in, a question that does happen occasionally in churches like ours where we baptize infants um, is what if you have a family situation where um, a family comes into your church, the children are unbaptized uh, over time under the teaching of the church or under a direct reading by the pastor or the influence of other people or whatever, the family becomes convinced of, of, um, of infant baptism, of pedobaptism. So now what do you do? Um, and uh, in a lot of our churches, at least, the way that we respond to that is that we'll uh, baptize kids that are – and I haven't personally had the opportunity, but I know of other people. Have you had this opportunity, Sean? Okay, okay so you're going to – do you baptize Say an 8-year-old? Yeah, or 10-year-old. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you huh. – has this kind of situation come up in your church? Um, we see when it's been – for us, when it's been a 10-year-old – Generally, the ten-year-olds made a profession of faith. Oh, I got you. Okay, yeah. You know, Calvin. Calvin's cap was eleven. Calvin said, "If you if your kid does not make a profession of faith by eleven, you messed up, Dad." Right. <laughs> so, um, but sometimes that that's probably the only baptism issue that maybe that we haven't covered. You know, sort of overtly is that. Um, you know, if somebody comes in, so let's just put it as a five-year-old. Certainly, there are PCA churches where five-year-olds make profession of faith. But, um, but if you had a family that came in and you know they had a five-year-old who was unbaptized, but they became convinced of pedo baptism, most of the time, the um, you know they would when the family came in as members of the church, the parents making profession of faith a five-year-old, then you'd, you'd baptize a five-year-old, uh, profession or not, and. Um, I think that that fits well, sort of the covenant model that we do see um, mm -hmm. in Acts in terms of household baptisms, that everyone under the authority of the household head uh, is uh, at least publicly uh, identified with Christ, uh, trusting that the the God who's uh, set his love on the parents is not just a God for them, but for their children after them. Well, and what we've, we've dealt with before is that if you are... Um whether you are Presbyterian or Baptist, whether you, you hold to uh, infant baptism uh, in, in some sense not as a saving thing, but as the giving of a sign, that's what we would believe is orthodox. Um, or if you are a, you know, a Baptist persuasion or an independent persuasion where you believe no, you wait and give the baptism after the profession of faith. Uh, one of the points that we've made before on this podcast uh, is that that Presbyterians and Baptists, I'm just using those as, as the two categories, 
we could equally say infant Baptist, Baptists and uh, what's the other one? It's Pado Baptists. No, no, not Pado Baptists. Infant baptism and yeah, Pado Baptists and Pado Baptism. What's the other one? Credo Baptist. Credo Baptist. I can never remember what the other one's called. Um, I think you know why I can't remember it. It's because infant baptism and Pado Baptism mean the same thing. Yes. So I think in my head, there's there's my two, but there there's there's there are two, but. For those words. three people listening to us, you for those three people, I've just completely confused you. Okay, but one of the points I'm going to I'm going to cease to confuse you here. One of the points that we've made here before is that we really do believe that the Presbyterians and Baptists are closer than they give into, and this is the reason. Um, the Presbyterian baptizes their infant and then believes they have to train that child up to understand what that baptism means. They have to, that baptism was a promise that is reiterated through the parenting process. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, um, the Baptist in the same way believes that that baptism is a process, but they believe that that baptism and profession of faith is led up to through a parenting process. And this is why many Baptists do something like um, infant dedication, because they believe that there is something special about the child of a, of believers or of a believer. Well, and that the parenting could look almost duplicate, uh, assuming that we're yes. not uh, assuming that we're not, um, you know, old style. You know, walk the and I don't know a Reformed Baptist that would be like this. You know, walk the aisle, sign a card. Um, you know. That there is a point where, you know, both of us would say that a child has, we would say they own the covenant, um, and a, a Reformed Baptist would say, you know, they're ready to make a profession of faith. We'd say the same thing, you know? Yes. Um, and post profession of faith, then a Reformed Baptist would, would baptize the kid, um, or the adult, or, or whichever. But uh, I think that the parenting could look almost duplicate. It should look almost duplicate, well, which is that we've put the sign of promise on a kid in in, uh, in a Pado Baptist church, and then we're all our life teaching him how to embrace the gospel that is symbolized by to daily embrace the gospel that's symbolized by that symbol. Reformed Baptist is trying to do the same thing. He's trying to teach his kid the gospel and get him to embrace it daily to adopt that lifestyle of repentance and faith. Well, that's one of the reasons we say there is no argument that can be made against infant baptism that cannot be made against credo baptism because the same thing is true you know we live in this gospel centered age of applying the gospel to our sanctification um that the same principle of parenting is the principle that is to be applied you know with with adult believers who make a profession receive baptism uh, which is you know the thing we often forget about that presbyterians do it baptize adults when, yes. when they're converted Hopefully as adults. lots and lots of them. Yes. Because they've come to Christ. Um, but that, that adult who comes to faith and receives baptism um, has all the same issues that a child growing up with the promise has. Will they walk away? Will they be the, the seed that was planted among the weeds that immediately sprang up, but then the, the weight of the world choked it out? Or will it be the, the seed that's planted on the rocky soil um, where it has no firm root? So that person just as easily can walk away as, um, as, the, as the infant or the child who was baptized in infancy 
can walk away. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, it seems to me the most comparable thing that the book of Hebrews is talking about. Yes. Yes. Is that, that the comparable situation to our context, surely we have adult professors who, you know, uh, trample on the blood of Christ and, and uh, reveal that they actually, their hearts were never changed um, that because they don't earn, hold their, their confidence to the end, you know? And so, um, but it, it seems that the uh, covenant child is, is the one that's most clearly um, comparable to the situation in Hebrews, at least to me. Yes. Yes, very much so. Um, it's interesting because you, you've preached on Hebrews. I'm preaching through Hebrews now. And one of the things you notice we're is... We're both you, crazy, Sean. We're both crazy. As you go through that warning, um, those warning passages in Hebrews, what you begin to realize as you do your cross-referencing is that every book of the New Testament has those kind of warning passages. Those are not unique to Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul is constantly saying, you know, this is the case if you have come to faith. Mm-hmm. Um, those if statements are throughout the New Testament letters. Whenever um, pastors are speaking to the church in the New Testament, uh, they speak to them as if they are a mixed body, a mixed multitude, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, but the, so, so the Baptists and the Presbyterian really, they, they both have all the same pieces. They both believe there needs to be a profession of faith. They both believe... They both believe there needs to be baptism. They both believe that this is a covenant with God made in Christ. Um, the, the difference is uh, the, the, the Presbyterian is comfortable with there being a gap between sign and profession, mm-hmm. whereas the Baptist doesn't want, wants to close that gap. Mm-hmm. That's, in my mind, that is the key difference between the position of a Reformed Presbyterian and a Reformed Baptist. So, and like you said, I don't know any, uh, none of my Baptist friends don't teach their kids to pray. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all teaching their kids to pray, teaching them to read the Bible, treating them like Christians until they show themselves otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I Which is basically duplicate to what we to would what we're doing. doing. So, yeah. So I think there's a lot more going on. And again, as we mentioned last month, if if this is something that's very interesting to you, I would encourage you to listen to our past podcasts on uh, Baptists and Presbyterians together, um, because I think those I think we covered a lot of this. What we want to do today, though, is ask the question: How do we? You know, we asked how do we get preaching into our kids. That was one of the questions we've asked. We asked. Uh, how do we get our kids praying? Okay. Well, now we come to this issue of the sacraments. Uh, how how do those relate to our kids? How do those relate to our parenting? That's the question that we want to seek to answer here in the next half hour or so. So, Matt, just answer because I don't, I don't have one. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I think that on the podcast that we've we've touched on the um, you know kids coming uh, to the Lord's Supper and and of course our own denomination the PCA is you know has a a, a delicate nuanced position in terms of pedo communion and that um, in most Presbyterians I think that uh, you know a man can hold uh, a view where he's personally convinced of pedo communion but agrees not to practice it um, and so I think that that's a 
you know, it's a, it's a useful place, I think, for a denomination to be because it's – if you've not looked at the arguments um, and you can look at the arguments, uh, the PCA and the OPC have both published, you know, public position papers on them. The arguments are, are – uh, there's a, a lot there to them. Uh, but there is a reason too that the Reformers are rejected pedo communion or, or the vast majority of them in the confessions do and our catechisms do. And so um, – but there's a humility in just saying yeah, there's some argument on the other side um, that's useful. So – if we're going to say that um, a child making profession of faith in a Presbyterian or Reformed context or even a Reformed Baptist context is important, then we certainly want to, without overly pressuring our kids or making a big deal of the day or the prayer, um, that if we find that a kid is indeed embracing Christ and we find that there's genuine repentance and faith being revealed in their life, obviously not perfectly and appropriate to their age, then we should encourage them towards the table. Um, and, and, you know, when we do that a lot of times through, at least in our circles, we have a communicants class for kids where we uh, mm -hmm. go through material and try and see, do they understand the basic tenets of the gospel in an age-appropriate way? And then in our circle, at least, um, we actually have elders sit down with kids and talk to them and see if they can make it a valid profession of faith. Um, and I think that parents ought to be looking towards that. It's one of the reasons why we encourage parents to catechize their kids and so that they are um, have sort of the doctrinal background, they have the gospel background to understand the, the um, and be able to articulate for themselves, uh, you know, I'm somebody who's trusting Jesus. I need Jesus. I'm turning from sin. I want to turn from sin. I want to be Embracing him day by day. In our denomination, we make the distinction uh, between communing and non-communing members. Mm -hmm. uh, and so an infant baptized uh, is not a full communing member of the church in our, in our particular denomination. Um, but what that points to is that points to the link between baptism and the Lord's Supper. Whereas baptism is an, an entrance rite, uh, it's, it, it's the, the sign that ties to justification. The Lord's Supper is the, uh, the sign that ties to sanctification. It's the ongoing. It's, it's for the professed believer. It's um, a way even for me to weekly, at least in John and I's understanding of it, to renew my repentance and faith. Yes. Yes, renew our renew covenant with God, um, and for God to confirm to us to, you know, for some people, uh, I don't know who who coined this little ditty, but that in preaching, uh, preachers try and comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted, and ideally, the Lord's Supper does that in adults and kids, that it re it confronts me anew with my sin and need for a savior, but it comforts me with the fact that if I'm feeling really sinful. <laughs> That um, this is amazing. The father gave up his son for me. Um, and as guilty and awful as I feel for my sin, is, as I trust in Christ, um, he was broken for me. My sin's paid for. And so it, it, the Lord's Supper is an incisive point. It should be in our services each week. Let, let's step back and, and walk through this process. Okay, um, because we, we've we've just thrown out a lot of information, and I, I I want us to think about 
what what are the parenting steps that lead up to my child making a profession of faith? Now, that's not to say that my parenting can create faith in my child. That's that's no, only God can create faith in your child, and that's often the mistake that we make as parents is we take some of the principles in Scripture and we we make them promises. You know, if you train up your child, like what's an the, example of that? Okay, well, the, yeah, yeah the proverb. You know, train up your child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. That's a principle. It's a proverbial principle. It's not a promise. Um, there is no guarantee of faith, uh, but there is also no guarantee of, of not having faith. And Matt, you and I are examples of that because we were both raised in non-Christian homes, and yet here we are. Right. And so, the, but the inverse is true too. Just because you're raised in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. You know, the old Keith Green, just because I'm sitting in a McDonald's doesn't make me a hamburger. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, that's true. Um, maybe even a step further back from that, a, a point that we made about prayer, we said, if you as a parent do not have a, a, a thriving relationship with your with God through your Savior Christ. Uh, you will not be able to teach your child to pray because so much of teaching our children to pray pray is them seeing us dependent. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing is transferable to to the profession of faith. Obviously, if our children do not see us as Christians, if we're just pretending faith, um, the chances of them making a profession of faith uh, decrease severely. God's going to have to use somebody other than our hypocritical self to bring them to faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's that's an important point to make, that that's where it's got to start. Now, that said, you know, what do we do with our kids? From a young age, you mentioned we catechize them. What's that? Well, catechisms are uh, a teaching tool that came out of the Reformation era. Um, they're, uh, they're a set of questions and answers. And if you've never seen a catechism before, you can. there's a great website called Catechize Me, C-A-T-E-C-H-I-Z-E-M-E uh, dot com, I think. Sean will link it for you up on the blog when he puts this up. Um, but um, what's, um, what's great about Catechize me. I use it almost every week as I'm looking for um, an appropriate uh, confession of faith for our congregation to use, uh, is that it's an online format so you can see it. And the basic idea is that it gives you a sequence of questions with answers um, that give you the basics of the Christian faith. Um, And uh, it's ultimately useful for children because uh, the Christian faith is, um, you know, simple enough that a child can grasp it, but deep enough that you can spend a whole lifetime learning about it. Um, and so uh, it's a whole worldview to be learned. It's a whole view of God and man and life and the mission that God's called us to. And there's there's a whole lot there. And so catechism is a way of just sort of periodically um, bumping into a new, uh, a new topic uh, that's taught in the scriptures. They basically catechisms uh, and confessions too, basically summarize the teaching of the scriptures just in a helpful way. Um, for memorization and for being able to say, you know, what's the Trinity? Who is God? You know, things like that. Yeah. You know, we all, you and I probably both began uh, with our kids with who made you. Right. You know, that's 
you know, your child first able to speak is able to say God and know that when mama or da ask them, uh, who made you, you say God. Now, one of the biggest critiques of catechizing that I hear is they don't understand it. Mm. Um, but I, th- I think that that is a, that that argument, um, can be put down simply by pointing out, uh, that children are sponges. Uh, children yes. need to be given these kinds. Uh, I mean, you have no trouble teaching your child other things like, you know, what color is the sky blue? What sound does a dog make? Woof, woof. You know, nobody argue, makes that argument with those questions. And yet here, <laughs> you know, they might not understand what that means, but, but here is the truths of God, the a summary of what the Bible teaches that you're putting into your child. You don't expect them to understand it now, but I can't tell you how many times uh, one, of the, one of the questions in our kids' catechism is, um, uh, what is God? God is a spirit, and he doesn't have a body like men. I can't tell you how many times just talking to my kids, that comes up. I used that question this past Sunday in my sermon. Did you? Yeah. What was it? What was the context? Um, we were talking about. Um, I'm working through Matthew chapter ten right now, and um, you know how. <laughs> and I'm working on uh, which is the Jesus second discourse. He's about to send out the twelve, okay. right? And, and but it's directions for them, but for for more than just them. Um, and I was just as a teaching tool, I was asking the congregation, who who is the most hair obsessed person that you know? Okay, <laughs> right. And the most hair obsessed person that any of us know is God. Ah, uh. and I said it's <laughs> not because it's not because God has hair because he doesn't have a body like men. <laughs> Got it. It's our hair, you know, and that's just a, he, a he teaching knows the, tool he knows the number to, because he knows the number. Yeah. And that that's just stands for how much care he has over us. Um, but anyways, I it was a funny way of using the question. No, that's an excellent way of using the question. But I can't you know, so many times that comes up just in in parenting. It's not that the kids say, you know, why doesn't God have a body? But um, you just there would be different moments where the children need to be reminded of, of what God is, that he's mm-hmm. a spirit. You know, how can God be here? You know, how can he hear us right now when we're praying? Right. God is a spirit, and he doesn't have a body like men. He's not limited by the things that limit us. And all, you know, and all of that is part of that parenting process. Catechism gives parents the tools for talking about faith. And as they grow... The, you can develop these questions because it's not as if you teach them, you know, who made you God and you never go back to that question once they learn it. You know, the aim is not that they learn the questions. You know, we've, you and I have both seen this families where, um, they're, they're rigorous with the catechism, but there's right. no, you know, there's no mentoring behind it. It's just about learning the questions. 
And well, and I think too that there's there's uh, we were talking we're supposed to talk about the Lord's Supper today, but I was pondering it earlier um, today about what we would talk about and what I just trying to orient my mind towards the podcast. And um, last night I was having difficulty getting one of my children to pray because he was upset with me. And I was trying to encourage him by example that um, the time to pray is when we have difficulty, when we're stressed, when we're upset. Mm. But unless our kids see that and they see us in that way, um, unless they see us pray when it's difficult, um, then it's not going to fly. Right. Yeah. And so, it, anyways, it's just it was it was interesting to me, um, the, the the correspondence, and I think too the same thing about the Lord's Supper. You've had a kid who's been very rebellious. How do you help them learn how to actually apply the gospel to themselves in taking the supper when they're struggling? Do we see that as part of our discipleship of them? Or even those are the best discipleship moments where sometimes in reform circles, you kind of get like, well, you know, if you were really a sinner this week, maybe you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. And it's like, you know, um, what's the function of the Lord's Supper? (laughs) So, well, but that function extends, um, you know, even to church discipline. Mm-hmm. And and we know with, with children, the parents are the primary elders in their life, even though the, our children who make profession is, you know, is 10, 11, 16, 18-year-olds, um, while they may – while they take a vow to submit to the, the government of the church, they um, – it's really – it's their parents who serve as that mediator. And, you know, and there are places for a parent saying to their child – you are continuing in this sin. Um, I don't believe you should right. take the Lord's Supper. And and that having an effect upon the child. See, if we if we never ask these questions when, you know, if we're never pursuing um, our child's profession of faith or our child living as a believer, um, if our if our children never have the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper because it's never offered to them, they, uh, you, you never have the opportunity. They never have the opportunity to question their faith, right? And the Lord's Supper provides an opportunity as well as as an opportunity to rejoice in what Christ has done. He saved me from my sins, and yes, I have been a sinner this week. But it's also a time to question: um, Have I walked with Him as I should? Mm. You know, it, it plays it plays both. Have I have I honored? the cross on which Jesus died for my sins, or have I relished in those same sins? Right. Am I sticking um, with it or am I turning from it? Yeah, I have a great quote from Thomas Brooks, but you know, I don't have it right in front of me, but it's a, effectively he says, if, if a man, if a table is set uh, with a knife and a man sits down with a knife and a fork and a man sits down at his table and he's told as he sits down that that knife at his place, uh, was used to slit the throat of his child. And then that man proceeds to use that knife for common use. 
you know, what would we say of this man? Hmm. And then Brooks takes it and he switches and he says, so what do we say of the man who takes the cross as a common thing? Hmm. So that there is a weightiness to the Lord's Supper. And there's a reason that we want to bring our children to the plate. We don't want our kids to be communing members until they understand. Let a man examine himself and in this way uh, take of the body and the blood. Okay, we, wa- we want them to be able to understand. Um, but at the same time, we don't want to wait until they're adults. You know, so there's, there's got to be this... Uh, this middle ground, and you know, like I mentioned earlier, I mentioned Calvin saying eleven was the age. Um, you know, there is no exact age; it's going to be different for every child, um, just as it's different for every believer. There are people who become believers at eighty-eight. <coughs> Wonderfully, wonderfully, <laughs> amen. Um, and there's uh, there's probably been a lot of people praying for them for a long time. So. So that said, catechism is a great tool for providing the opportunity. Family worship, great tool, providing the opportunity to talk about faith. But again, as we talked about when we talked about family worship before, it's it's got to flow out of you. It can't just be you – know, Matt, I, I've been preaching uh, – I've been preaching through Hebrews, but in Sunday school I've been doing an overview of the entire Bible. I'm doing a book a week. Mm, and, you're a crazy man. And one of the, what materials are you using for that? Uh, there's a marvelous book by Scott. Uh, his last name is Scott, and it's called... Hold on, I have to turn around. Um, God's Plan Unfolded. It's not in print anymore, um, oh. but it needs, there are some, some it needs to be. that are in print now. Yeah, there are, like, Mark Dever has that series mm-hmm. that he did. Um, I'm... I just I think Scott was a he was a professor at uh, RTS Jackson and it's the most solid concise material. I was actually handed this book by by my first pastor who who you know Dave Eby. And yeah. Dave gave me this right after I became a believer. And this book was just What's the name of it? Uh God's Plan Unfolded. It's worth it's worth picking up a copy. Um you can get them used. They're they're available used on Amazon. Oh, Jack Scott. Okay, yeah, and uh, just mar- marvelous, marvelous book. Um, now, as I'm going through that, and as I've come through the Pentateuch now, the theme that you see over and over again in the Pentateuch is that God wants worship from the heart. Mm. God mm. is not. Interest. In fact, that is the that is the theme of Moses' sermons in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is where you get all these passages where Moses says, "Circumcise your hearts. Mm-hmm. Stop thinking that because you're physically circumcised, somehow you belong to God. God wants your heart." And it's it's the same message for our kids. Stop thinking because you belong to a Christian home, or because your kids. Are, are yours and you're a Christian, that that makes your kids Christian. Don't do that. Don't make that mistake. It's got to be from the heart. God wants heart worship. And, and heart worship can't come until God changes a heart. How does God change a heart? Well, sometimes he uses parents. Mm-hmm. So 
Frequently. <laughs> Frequently. So, so we have to keep but all those parents, things in mind. Only parents that I think, you know, it's kind of like with prayer. I think if the Lord's Supper means something to you each week, then you're able to coach your kids in that. And if it doesn't, if it's wrote for you, it will be wrote for them. In fact, it'll be probably be meaningless for them. But beyond, you're not you're not talking about sentimentality. You're talking about experience of faith. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what we say, isn't it? That when the when the the Christian eats of the bread and drinks of the wine by faith, it strengthens them. It, yes. It's not it's not that it physically strengthens them. It strengthens them by faith as they remember what Christ has done for them. Mm-hmm. And so that's why the the non-Christian who use them in the gospel exactly. And so the non-Christian who eats that's what they're looking for, you know. That's yes. Um, the, but the non-Christian who eats can't only eats and drinks judgment because there is no faith present, and therefore they right. cannot work. They become they actually will stand against him. The, that that piece of bread and that little cup of of wine will be will stand against them on the on the day of judgment if they do not uh, take up faith. Um, so now, how do we move? Okay, we've established it has to be from the heart. We established there's this process. We've established it involves parents. We've we've said okay, catechism is a good thing, and and in saying catechism is a good thing, one of the things we're saying is that is we're affirming Deuteronomy six, that it is the parents' responsibility to raise their child up in the ways of the Lord. Now that may mean that the parent chooses to involve other people such as youth ministers and Sunday school teachers and that sort of thing. But ultimately, it is the parent's responsibility. We affirm Deuteronomy 6. Um, but how do we move then uh, from catechism to, you mentioned this thing, a communicants class. Okay, mm-hmm. now this is something uh, that is going to be particularly familiar uh, to those who have been raised in any sort of high church setting, in a, in a Catholic setting, in an Anglican setting, there is this thing called a communicants class, which is effectively, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a generalization here, and we're just going to accept that there are, exception, there are exceptions that prove this rule. But generally, a communicants class is a shoe-in. That if you complete the communicants class, if you memorize the catechism, you automatically get to take First Communion. And you're saying what kind of settings where that would be? Well, well, we've said that's that's generally in a higher church setting in a um, in okay. A, so in like a, a in a Catholic or an Anglican, Lutheran or, or an Anglican Episcopal setting, uh, maybe even in a Methodist setting, you might see a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that's called confirmation. Confirmation, well. yes. Yeah. Confirmation and First Communion. Now, that's not exactly what we're talking about here. Uh, there's more of a process. I'm trying to, at least. Yeah. Yeah. They, there's more of a process here. Um, this is a process that I think begins when your child says to you, um, can I have a piece of that bread as it passes? This is, this mm-hmm. is another argument for kids being in the worship service, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, can I have you know because if a kid is in the wor- child is in the worship service with you, and they see you singing with all your heart to the Lord, they will want to sing with all their heart to the Lord. If they're in some other building, they will not see that, and they've just been removed from the greatest mentor in their life. Mm. 
Um, but but here they are, the bread and the wine go by, and you take some, and their older sibling takes some, and they go, can I take some? And you sit down with them then, and you say, well, why do you want to take Why? Why? <laughs> and they say, well, because my sister is. Hmm. Okay. Um, is that a, you know, is that a good reason to take communion? <laughs> and you begin to have a discussion with them over, over the course of years, months, and you begin to talk with them about their faith and what it means to them. You begin to pursue things like, do they, do they, do they read the Bible on their own? Or is it only when you tell them to? Mm-hmm. You know, you're looking for fruit. You're looking for evidence of faith in your child. You know, this is the same process that a that that a that a Presbyterian goes through, that a Baptist goes through. Is you're looking for faith in your child. Now, the danger, and I think this da- this danger is this line is crossed by both Presbyterians and Baptists, mm-hmm. um, is that you want to force a profession, right? And it's very easy when our kids are young and they're sponges and you're catechizing them to think that they're Christians because they're doing everything you say. Hmm. And, and that's a, we have to be careful about that. They're not Christians because they do everything we say. They're doing everything we say because we will punish them if they don't do what we say. Um, and by the way, if you're listening to this and you're, and you're saying, my child doesn't do everything I say, um, there's a book called Withhold Not Correction that I would encourage you to pick up um, because your children should be obeying you mm-hmm. if you are a good parent um, and if you are a kind parent and your child loves you, they will obey you. In fact, what's the catechism question? Uh, how do we glorify God by loving him and doing what he commands? Um, we will do what God commands if we love him. If we don't love him, we won't because we don't. we have no foundation to do what he commands. So, so you begin this discussion, let's say well, you, or if you're having a child that's having a hard time obeying, then that's a great opportunity to talk to him about the gospel that only from changed hearts can we actually joyfully obey the Lord. Yes. And the parent stands in the stead of the Lord. Seek Jesus, my child. Right. Yeah. Seek forgiveness. So, so your child now has asked the questions and you're beginning to sense that your kid gets it. Okay. What's the next step? Now, there, there's no there's no um, process written down. Um, but my general sense, this is a good time to talk with your kid with an elder or with a, a deacon or with a, um, a Sunday school teacher hmm. um, or your pastor. Sit down with your pastor and let your pastor ask your kid some questions. And and. Then I think, in my personal view is then it's the time if, if the pastor says, um, yes, I, you know, I think there's a good chance your child here has faith, then I think is the chance, is the time to move into the communicants class. Um, now, I, in our church, I teach it and I do that on purpose um, because I want to know the kids in our church. And so I, I have chosen that's we, – we use the Sunday school hour to do that. And it's an opportunity for me to just engage with the kids. It's less about the lessons that I'm teaching them. I, I have a book I use. Um, Matt, you probably know. I'm sorry, I moved around with the microphone. Um, Steve Smallman's Understanding the Faith. Mm-hmm. Do you use that? 
Um, we we have not used it here because I've only had the opportunity to do one class so far, and okay. it included a lot of younger kids, and so we have not used that. Although many people do, and I keep it on my shelf. Um, I'll actually use some material, and if you would like, um, a group of guys that I'm linked in with actually just shared each other's information about what they do use for communicants classes. And so we can, if you're interested, post us a question on the blog and we'll be happy to share with you kind of the breadth, at least within certain circles in the PCA of materials that we use and what that class is sort of shaped like. Okay. So we'd be happy to share that with you. Yeah. Good. Um, so communicants class, I think we've established is not a replacement for parenting. Um, it's not about raising your kid till they get old enough to take the communicants class. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it should be that the communicants class, ideally, although I, my two of my kids went through communicants class last year and it wasn't ideal. Um, so you can even have kids that grow up in a pastor's home and don't get it all, you know, because I oh, think yeah. that sometimes I, I'm overly sensitive to not be too dominant because, you know, my personality and me being the pastor and the dad and, you know, so anyway, so this is a, not an easy thing. We're not trying to say that it's a, you know, this is cut and dried. Um, but, uh, it, um, but it, it, it should be that the community students class is a confirmation, um, not in the same sense we were talking about earlier, but it's, it's kind of the, the, you know, yeah, the kid does get what he's been learning at home his whole life, ideally. Yes. I mean, that may be, that may be behind the original meaning of calling it confirmation. I don't know. Yeah. But that would, um, that would make sense is we're confirming that something is true about them. Now, in our church, we have a process now. Once they've gone through the communicants class, now they have to meet down, meet with the uh, elders, and we give our kids the full interview that we would give a uh, someone who's just converted or has is transferring from another church. Um, so we do a member full membership interview with our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, we do it at their level. You know, we're not asking, right. you know, we're not asking them to uh, understand um, huge things. But at the same time, if they've been catechized, you know, our, some of our best kids, and I, and I know this, are the kids who do the best in the membership interviews are the kids whose parents have faithfully led them through the truths of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Because these kids come out with these answers. They'll, they listen to your question and they say, Oh, well, that's because uh, Jesus is our substitute. <laughs> and you go, you realize, you realize my son, <laughs> you have just uh, explained substitutionary atonement that most of the adults in this congregation don't get. Right. And you get, you know, you get those wonderful interviews like that. And um, we usually do those interviews with the parent present, just in case there's anything that needs to be communicated. But for the most part, the you know the parent isn't answering the questions, or um, you know, the parent is stepping back and allowing the child to make that profession themselves. Right, uh, and, and only if you know they've used different language or something yeah. like that, where you know we're we're speaking like aliens because the parent used some other word or some other way to explain the concept or something like that. Yes, Jesus was good for you might be the way they explain substitutionary atonement in their house. Jesus is your goodness. Right. You know, and that's, um, 
that you know that might be how a child understands something. So if you say righteousness, they're like, "What's righteousness? Does that mean being being good?" So, um, now that uh, so so the oh another, another great tool, the vows of your church. Mm-hmm. Find the vows of your church, the vows you took when you became a member. Walk through those with your child. Help them to understand. In fact, we actually ask our parents when they're bringing a child for a membership interview that they to have gone through the vows with them beforehand. Because we can't, you know, if a child doesn't understand the vows, they can't become a member. You know, they don't understand what they're committing to. The, exactly. Exactly. To. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is which is one of the problems with um, uh, with with uh, the pedo communion position is, you know, you know, for us, we believe that baptism, we're giving the child a sign, but we're not ex- assuming that the child is, is a believer, um, you know, ex opera high operato. Um, but with the pedo communion position, it says you give the child of Christians, the Lord's supper from the very beginning. They're assuming a lot in that mm-hmm. position, aren't they? Um, mm-hmm. You know, and they would have a lot of, that position would have a lot of problem with some of the things we're saying here because we're actually looking for, for signs of faith in a child. And yet if, if you go through the scripture, that's what the Bible does. Jesus himself says, you know, if, if you abide in me and my word abides in you. So there, there's all, throughout the New Testament, there are these, throughout the Bible, there are these if if clauses that need to be taken into account both in our own personal lives and as we parent our kids. Um, mm-hmm. We don't, we you know, we want to be a balance. We don't want to be the parent that's always skeptical because it's always easier. I think you brought this up, Matt. It's always easier as the parent to be skeptical because we see them at their worst. It, you know, it's interesting about that. I was watching, um, I was telling Sean a little bit before we got on the podcast that uh, my two of my boys were finishing up a, a spell in gymnastics last night. And um, I was watching my kids interact in a public setting with people that they don't know, with teachers they don't usually have. And they were very attentive and respectful and conducted themselves well. Maybe many of you parents that are listening to us have had the experience where You'll um, have someone watch your kids and the people say they're the most delightful, cheerful, um, responsive, respectful children they've ever met. <laughs> and, you, like, and you say, were those say, my kids? And which aliens invaded the house while I was gone? You know? Well, and that's and, the uh, thing is we've got to judge our kids on how they are around others, not how they are around us. They can let down around us, just like yes. spouses can, can let, let down around each other. We yeah. see our spouse at their worst. Mm-hmm. So, so how do we get from okay? We've we've been through you know we've been from baptism now to membership interview. Um, now's the time for profession of faith. If this is you know if you're in a Baptist congregation, now's the time to baptize the child. Um, if you're in a Presbyterian con- congregation, now's the time for the child to stand up and make a profession of faith, thereby uh, validating their baptism. Uh, in fact, one of the things this I, I find this funny. Um, while Presbyterians baptize early and baptize, Baptists baptize late, it's the Baptists who classically 
have always been active in reminding you of your baptism. You know what I'm saying? Because they put such an emphasis on the baptism. Right. Right. They're the ones that say, remember your baptism. Whereas you never hear Presbyterians saying that. Generally among Presbyterians, we get them wet and we forget about it. And, that, and that's wrong. Um, but you know, here's, a, here's, a clue, here's a cue we can take from the Baptists. All the time our children are growing up, we need to be saying, remember your baptism. Remember the promises the that have been made. Do better than we do. Yes. Yes, they do. When, it, when in a Lutheran church... Um, Missouri Synod Lutheran Church, where I've had experiences, a parent will come up, like two, uh, so I have four children, two of them have made profession of faith, so two of them come forward with their mother and take the Lord's Supper, and their mother takes the Lord's Supper, but the third one hasn't made profession of faith yet. And so he'll come up with mom. And in Lutheran churches, um, and we wouldn't necessarily agree with the, 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 Verbal formulation, Sean and I wouldn't hear, because um, the theology, sacramental theology in a Lutheran church is a little bit different. But the, the, in a Lutheran church, the pastor will actually put his hand on the child's head and say, the Lord keep you in your baptism. Mm. Now, I don't like that particular formulation because of the theology that's behind it. But the concept is at least, and maybe we should develop a new phraseology that we'd be happy with that embodies our theology, which is to say, may you embrace the, the truth symbolized in your baptism. Because certainly, hopefully, that's, as a pastor, what we're praying for those kids and what the parents are praying for their kids. I, I would even make it stronger. I would say, may you take hold of the promise yeah, offered absolutely. to you in your baptism. Yep. Yeah. Well, in, one of the great ways to do this is, is if you're a pastor, when when you have people making their vows of membership or when you do a baptism, that is a anytime vows are being said in the church is a great time to remind the congregation of the vows they've made or to remind the children of the baptism of the promise that they have received. Mm -hmm. Well, mm. I think we covered the gamut. We may well have. Yeah. I, if you have questions. Please, uh, I'm sure we raised a zillion questions. Oh, we probably did. And well, and that's some people and things like that. So that's what the blog's know, for. Come back at us. And, um, you know, if we need to next month, then we'll, we'll, uh, Rephrase, clarify, comment, you know, we're yeah. happy to do that. Yeah, this is this <laughs> this message has not been edited and what's what's the, what is it they always say on radio programs? The the views expressed were not near not necessarily those of those who expressed them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> can we can we say that about our podcast? Um well Matt, thanks for joining us. And thank you, Happy our three listeners, for joining us. And may the Lord rich, richly bless you as you parent those, parent the heck out of those kids and bring them by God's grace to know his grace and to take hold of the promise uh, made to them. Uh, for we, uh, I almost started praying there, um, take hold of the promise made to them uh, as you pursue God through his ordinary means of grace. Thank you.